Welcome to Milo Time, where we dive into the list of things that Milo loved and spend some time with my beautiful, amazing, awesome, fantastic boy, Milo. Welcome back to another episode of Milo Time. Daryl Kessler and Lisa Cohen here. And hello. Hello, Lisa. And we're going to dig into the list of things Milo loved and spend some time with Milo. So what do you have for us today, Lisa? Um, I picked this one solely on the basis of the fact that it seems fun to say. Fernando Verdasco. That is, that is, am I saying it correctly? You're saying it correctly. <laughs> you might recognize him as a tennis player, being a converted oh, tennis fan, as you I, are. I, I assumed it was a baseball player, but please continue. Fernando Verdasco is a, a Spanish tennis player uh, who played famously a great semifinal match against Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open. But that's not why Fernando Verdasco is on this list. As many people know, Milo was a huge tennis fan, and tennis is very important in our family. And Crafty left-hander. Crafty left-hander, exactly right, exactly right. And Fernando Verdasco was also, and is also, a crafty left-hander. In fact, Fernando Verdasco is still playing, even though he's in his late 30s. Um, no longer the great player he once was, but still slogging along there on the tour. Um, many, many years ago, one of the first times we went to the U.S. Open... Milo and I were watching Verdasco play a match on an outside court. So what, what age is Milo here? So at this point, Milo was probably about eight years old. And Verdasco was not yet one of the top players in the world. I'm only saying that because he was playing on an outside court. And there's a reason I know that he was playing on an outside mm-hmm. court. Milo and I were watching him play, uh, obviously, at the U.S. Open. The matches are three out of five on the men's side. And after the first two sets, Milo and I decided we needed to take a bathroom break. So we went to a men's room just outside the outside court where Verdasco was playing. And we were standing waiting in line when suddenly there was like a big commotion by the, uh, by the entrance to the bathroom. And we turned around. And sure enough, Fernando Verdasco himself was standing <laughs> online at the bathroom, taking a break from his own match in our bathroom. So Milo and I were each standing at a urinal, and in between us steps Fernando Verdasco, the guy who we were just watching play, um, <laughs> using the urinal right in between us, dripping sweat all over the place. And Milo and I kind of made eye contact behind Verdasco. We're kind of pointing at each other like, that's him, that's the guy. And uh, we uh, finished up our business after he finished up his business. We walked back to the court, and Verdasco had gotten back to the court before we were. And okay, it was a story. important question. Did he wash his hands? He did wash his hands. It's so funny you say that. What about you guys? <laughs> we were so starstruck, we may or may not have washed our hands. But um, it was something we always talked about, because Verdasco had a terrific, terrific career. Never played in a major final, but played in a major semifinal in one of the all-time great matches at the Australian Open. Yet what we think most about Fernando Verdasco is the guy who we uh, peed next to at the U.S. Open. But, you know, there's we also think about all those um, great times that we spent together at the U.S. Open. Lisa, you know yeah. how important tennis is to our family. And um, that's, that is a truly great story, but just one of many stories. It, it is great. What, what uh, I mean, like, w- would... Have you had experiences and stories of like actually being able to speak to one of the pros like in a moment like that? I mean, obviously, being at a urinal makes it a little more complicated, but <laughs> right, um, he didn't seem that receptive at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing his, that, his thoughts were on a couple different things. The thing that's so interesting about these players is they're just animals. I think that, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. 
I don't think if we had tried to say anything to Verdasco that he would have responded. And I'm not sure that he, I'm certain that he wouldn't have been receptive. Um, and I think that they're so deep in their own heads yeah. that yeah. I, I, I don't think that any communication would have been possible. Would have so been possible I'm assuming that every time you saw him playing, whether it was just in the paper or at any other tournament, it was like, there's the guy. There's, there's the, the guy, guy we peed with. Every single time. He's your friend. Every He's... single time. He's our guy. Yeah. Every single time we think about him or hear about him, we would always talk about that time that we saw Fernando Verdasco peeing outside a, um, in, a men's, in a men's room on an outside court. What a, I have an important question. Did he win that match? He did win that match. And it was it because of the vibes you sent him in the men's room? I think we were a calming influence. I definitely think we were a calming <laughs> influence. We didn't disturb him and we didn't disrupt his his business were on Were there other people the in the bathroom when this happened? There were other people in the bathroom. Um, it wasn't crowded, but there was definitely a commotion when he entered. People recognized him. He wasn't yet a superstar, but people definitely recognized him. I mean, he carries himself and he's obviously pretty sweaty and clearly a tennis player. Um, people definitely recognized him, um, but it wasn't like an unusual event. He just kind of well, went to the closest men's room. And yeah. he went to the closest men's room. There's not like a suite for the players yeah. at, adjacent to every outdoor court. Awesome. And the, um, you know, Thinking about Fernando Verdasco in that moment just brings to mind so many incredible times that we spent at the U.S. Open. Um, you know, tennis, as I've said a couple times already, is so important to our family. And not only did we go to the U.S. Open as a family, but Alana, Max, Milo, and I traveled to Melbourne, Australia. We went to the Australian Open. Um, we watched a ton of tennis in this house. We were always watching tennis. And, you know, Milo played a lot of tennis. And it'll, for a later episode, we'll talk a little bit more about Milo's tennis playing. But in terms of sacred places in our lives, um, the, the U.S. Open is clearly one of those places. And in fact, Lisa, you and I have spoken a number of times about the fact that many of the places that were most sacred and important to us are in some ways the most enriching to think about, but yet the most heartbreaking to think about when you think about Milo's death. Um, and when I now think about the U.S. Open, I laugh about Fernando Verdasco. I laugh about some of the players who, for reasons that are not clear, Milo uh, felt were his guys, men or women, people that he really liked the way they played, the way they carried themselves. But I also can't help but reflect on the last time we went to the U.S. Open, which was, you know, the September before he died. We didn't know at the time. It was only five months before, five and a half months before he would be in the hospital for the last time. And I think about every minute of that visit to the U.S. Open. I think about watching Gael Monfi, one of his favorite players, play against Yannick Sinner. Um, I think about an obscure match in an outdoor court. Milo um, loved a Belarusian player named Ilya Ivashka, and he was playing the very beautiful Matteo Berrettini on an outside court. <laughs> Melissa, I know your feelings about Matteo Berrettini. And Milo and one other guy were literally the only two people rooting for Ilya Ivashka on this That's court. That's awesome. <laughs> and Milo went that day um, walking. I remember it was the first time he was out with only one crutch. It was at that time we thought progress. Um, he had until then been on two crutches and it was a big, 
big thing that he was on one crutch and we went to the US Open and he was moving about on one crutch. We were in special seating, but it felt like he was making progress. And at that match, Milo was in all his glory as he and this one other person rooting for Ilya Vashka were making eye contact with one another. This guy was clearly not from the United States and I don't think spoke much of any English at all. Um, they, 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 they communicated. They communicated in the most important way. Yeah. Communicating as fans on enemy territory because, uh, Lisa, you know well. Oh, yes. Matteo Berrettini can... The, 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 the pull is strong. He's the pull is strong for Matteo Berrettini. Hard not to like, yes. If you are neutral, uh, if anyone's listening and is not familiar with Berrettini, if you're neutral on a tennis court and Berrettini is playing, you're rooting for Berrettini. He's yeah. extraordinarily handsome. <laughs> Um, but he has a great game, too. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I'm know. sure you've noticed his game, yeah. too. He does have a wonderful <laughs> forehand and serve. It's true. It's true. But I, those things um, are difficult. And yet, when I think about them, um, they give me um, extra pain and um, extra warmth at the same time. Um, and he also had his graduation at uh, Arthur Ashe. Right. Uh, Milo went to Brooklyn Tech High School, which is the largest public high school in the country. And it's difficult to find a place where 1,600 students and their families can graduate. And in years prior, graduation had been held at the Barclays Center, but because of COVID and lingering concern about COVID, that indoor venue wasn't uh, in use for a graduation. So Brooklyn Tech High School had the wonderful idea of doing the graduation at the outdoor Arthur Ashe Stadium. And again, um, heartbreaking and extraordinary to think about Milo at that graduation. Um, he had one week before had surgery on his lungs, which uh, at the time we believed to be successful. And it wasn't clear if he was going to be able to make it to the graduation. And he made it to graduation. It was at Arthur Ashe Stadium. He was on two crutches at the time. He received an extraordinarily heartwarming and heartbreaking standing ovation from the thousands of people in attendance. He was obviously undergoing treatment for those who didn't know him. He was fully bald at the time. Um, and what we learned after the fact was that he spent quite a bit of time in the bowels of Arthur Ashe Stadium with a couple of his good friends from the mathematics major who were not big tennis fans. And for Milo, being there was like being in a religious place. And he was holding forth on a number of players whose pictures were on the walls um, and really talking about some of the history of the game. Some of his friends who were fellow math majors didn't even know that he was on the tennis team, let alone that he was such a big tennis fan. And I have this image in my mind, even though I wasn't, I was there at the graduation, but wasn't with him when he was sort of backstage or with his friends, I have this image of him on crutches, fully bald from very difficult chemotherapy treatments, talking tennis to these wonderful friends he had made in high school who, in their own way, had their high school experiences disrupted by COVID and were, in other ways, still getting to know each other. Um, among the things that were you know, stolen from everybody was the opportunity to develop these bonds in high school and wherever people were. Uh, COVID took that away from a lot of people. And then Milo had the added disruption of this tragedy that befell him. And I have this image in my mind of him making connections with people in a new and different way 
and a way that was surprising and um, um, sort of fortuitous in a way that COVID and his situation didn't really allow for much. And I, I, I cherish that, and I find it heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. It's, I mean, it, I like what you said about how like he was, he was at his most fulfilled to be in that spot, not just graduating, obviously, but that that particular spot must have given him an added dose of uh, inspiration. Yeah, Milo has two. He had many great friends in the mathematics major, but there are two twins, uh, Lucy and Willa Meisner, who were wonderful friends to Milo and were particularly wonderful while he was treating, and he spent a lot of time with them. And they are the ones who told us about the twinkle in Milo's eye as he was uh, going on and on about tennis and what it was for him to be in that location. And there probably was a bigger picture there, because I mean it sincerely, that up until about 24 hours before the graduation, it just wasn't clear how we were going to be able to manage his attendance. He was... As I said, in the hospital, um, some people know the story already. He was released from the hospital about five days after um, completing a very complicated surgery on his lungs. He spent about a week in the hospital. He took an AP exam that started on his way back from the hospital. He was literally in the car. That needed to be completed before his graduation. Just uh, uh, he he did uh, get a five. Just so <laughs> he everybody did. knows, he did. He did. That's true. That's a true story. Um, and there was a lot. It was very touch and go for a while. And you know, it opened up our eyes. We had been blissfully ignorant of true tragedy in our lives. Um, grateful and embarrassed to say. And when you're dealing with somebody with compromised health. Everything is challenging and everything is difficult. So it's not entirely clear um, how Milo is going to get to Arthur Ashe Stadium. We drive him there, but then it's not that clear where we're going to park and how parking is going to work and how far away from the parking is the stadium. Um, and how is Milo going to get from wherever we drop him off at the stadium to his seat? And how is he going to get from the seat to the stage in such a big stadium? And it really wasn't clear. So... It was a joyous day. It was full of love. It was full of tears. It was full of accomplishment. And you did. And there was a whole team effort on the part of his friends and teachers. And they 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 took over right after you dropped him. It was truly truly remarkable. Uh, Milo's math mentor and former travel baseball coach Tom Blosey, who we'll be talking about quite a bit on these episodes, really. Um, ushered Milo in, made sure he was comfortable, and others at Brooklyn Tech were just wonderful at helping us and um, made what was very challenging and difficult um, less challenging and difficult and really took it upon themselves. And it was a beautiful tribute to Milo, the standing ovation, and it was a beautiful tip of the cap to public education, which often gets a bad rap. In this case, um, it, it was handled wonderfully um, in a venue that was important to Milo, and it was handled in a way that I think brought Milo great joy in a difficult time. So do we think that he told his friends about his peeing, peeing, uh, br brush with peeing greatness? <laughs> you know, I suspect he did. Yeah. I suspect he did because I have this thought that if anybody excused themselves to use a bathroom at 
uh, Arthur Ashe <laughs> you Stadium. You can't not tell that story. You can't not tell that yeah, story. Right. So we've come full circle in this episode of Milo Time from Fernando Verdasco to his high school graduation and right back to Fernando Verdasco. Well, that's it for this episode of Milo Time. Lots more to go. Won't you join us again uh, next time we spend some time with Milo on our next episode? Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.